you have your Bibles this morning, you, t- you can turn to Luke chapter 15. <clears throat> Scott began um, last week a new series on the stories that Jesus told, uh, which are the parables. And so I have the honor of looking at the first parable, and then it's all downhill from here. Um, if you look on the back of your little worship bulletin, you'll see the outline for the sermon, and there's only one point. And you're thinking, man, this is either going to be great or a disaster. And I'll be honest with you, I, I'm on pins and needles to see what happens. So, um, But that is correct, okay? I'm just going to give you one point, and we'll get there uh, in just a few minutes. A lot of you know that I grew up in uh, Winston County, Alabama, where a bulk of that county is the Bankhead National Forest. And within Bankhead, which is about 180,000 acres, is the Sipsi Wilderness, which brings people in from all over, probably thousands upon thousands uh, of folks who love to hike, who love to kayak, to camp. The problem is that part of Alabama is the terrain is, is pretty rough and rugged. <clears throat> and so a lot of people go into the Sipsi Wilderness to hike, not realizing exactly what they've gotten themselves into. And so usually once a year, somebody has to go in and be found and rescued. And actually, a, a few months ago, a lady, a female hiker in her 40s, actually died in, in the Sipsi Wilderness. But in 2019, I was in Dothan, and I was scrolling through Facebook, and I saw where a minister from Birmingham was lost in the Sipsi Wilderness. And when you get over there, there's no cell phone service. And there are these big, you know, in Double Springs, we call them haulers, E-R-S, okay. It's just in between two mountains, all right, valleys, hollows, maybe, I think was what they're supposed to be called. Um, and, and so just the terrain's rugged, and it started raining. And um, my cousin, who was the sheriff at the time, which I know everybody in Double Springs is related, so whoever the sheriff is, I'm sure... Is, um, this is my cousin. But he, he said, you know, typically if we don't find them after one day, it, it begins to kind of, our hope kind of diminishes. And so day one, nothing. Day two, nothing. It's, been, it's rained both nights. This guy's, I think, almost 70. He may have been 70. So they, they had sent sheriff's deputies, volunteers, forest service personnel, helicopters. I mean, people are coming from out of state to look for this gentleman. And so I'm following this story on Facebook, and it's just the longer this guy's lost, the more and more people are just kind of getting in the dumps, you know, and it's just depressing, and there's no hope, and they're just deflated. And then day number four, they find this minister. Cold, hungry, but alive. And it was, it was crazy just to watch that turn on Facebook from complete and utter hopelessness to just this celebration and joy and adulation that this guy who had been lost for these four days had been found. I think every time something like that happens, we get a little glimpse of heaven. That every time something is lost and is found, that the burden that seems to be lifted 
the joy that we experience, the like mini celebration that we have over that lost person or lost thing points us to heaven, points us to God's kingdom. When we look at this parable of the lost sheep, that's what this parable really is about. It's really about God's heart for the lost. But so many parables do that. They, they really kind of dissect either our hearts or God's heart. It kind of opens these, these windows for us to gaze, gaze into either our own sinful hearts or the compassion and merciful heart of God. And so that's what we're going to see this morning in Luke uh, 15. So let me read these seven verses, Luke 15, 1 through 7, and then we'll pray and kind of dive in. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to hear him, him being Jesus. And the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. So he told them this parable. What man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he has lost one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in open country and go after the one that is lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders, rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I found my sheep that was lost. Just so I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. Let me pray for our time together. Father, we just ask you to bless this time. Holy Spirit, would you be at work in our hearts and through uh, this inspired word that we're reading this morning. Open our eyes to truth. Convict us of sin. Encourage us in our brokenness. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So I think the thing that I want to look at before we kind of dive into the, the actual parable are these first two verses. So a lot of times we just kind of skip right over those and go into the story that Jesus told. And it's really, really important because, because Luke thinks it's important enough to point this out. And so I think we need to take notice of these people who are, as Luke puts it, drawing near to hear Jesus. Luke says they're tax collectors and sinners. Both very unpopular folks in Jewish society. Tax collectors were extortioners. They worked for the Romans, so they kind of smelled like traitors to the Jewish people. And so a lot of times they became outcasts and hated. Sinners was actually a word that, that Pharisees used for all the people who were really unclean. These would have been the prostitutes and the drunkards and those sort of folks. And so... Luke mentions that because these are the people that were drawing near to hear Christ. That Jesus chose to love these sinful people. That's who Jesus is. That's the heart of God. And so often I think, and if you're visiting and you haven't done church a lot, that that seems weird because when we come to church, we look nice. For the most part, we act fairly nice. It looks like we have it all together. But really, you just don't know us that well. That we're here in this place. 
Because we're broken sinners. That our hearts tend to be rebellious. That we struggle with sin and struggle with brokenness. And so if you're here and you feel that in your own life, that I'm messed up, I don't know how to fix myself, that there's a struggle inside of me of good and evil, then you've come to the right place. And I don't necessarily mean Redeemer, we're happy you're here. And I don't necessarily mean church, which is a great place for us to gather. Here at the feet of Jesus. Because He has been drawing sinners to Himself for all of eternity. Just like He was doing in Luke 15. And what's crazy is the Pharisees, who were these Jewish religious elites, they hated that about Jesus. I mean, there were a lot of things that they didn't like about Jesus. They hated the fact that Jesus would move toward the unclean. They hated it. As a matter of fact, Luke records them grumbling, this man receives sinners and eats with them. This, was a, this is a derogatory remark. At least that's what the Pharisees wanted it to mean. To me, it's a great encouragement. Because that's who I am. I am that sinner. And I'm so thankful that Christ moved toward me, drew me to Himself. But man, the Pharisees can't get over that. They can't understand why a Jewish rabbi would move toward somebody unclean. Especially unclean like tax collectors. Unclean like these sinners. It's interesting to me, if you go back and look at Luke 7, John the Baptist's disciples come to Christ and they say, hey, John the Baptist has sent us here. He wants to know if you're the Christ or if we're supposed to be looking for somebody else. And my favorite part is Jesus doesn't answer the question. He just says, go back and tell them all that you've seen and heard. In other words, that should be enough proof. That should be enough for your answer. But then Jesus turns to the crowds, and there's a lot of Pharisees in this crowd. And he says, John the Baptist came, and he didn't eat any bread, and he didn't drink any wine, and you said he had a demon. But you Pharisees, now that I'm here, and I do eat, and I do drink, and you say of me, he's a glutton, a friend of tax collectors, and sinners. So this attitude with the Pharisees, we see it here. It's really not about the rules, right? Because John the Baptist didn't eat bread. Jesus did eat bread. They, and they had issues with both of them. The issues with their heart. The attitude of their heart. It's this attitude of pride and arrogance that, that they had it all together. They were clean they were set apart. They were holy. They didn't need repentance. They didn't need anybody to forgive their sins because they didn't really have any sins. That's their mindset. They have been, in their world, self-justified. I've done enough good things that surely to goodness, God loves me. Their hearts and the heart of God are total opposites. 
we see them contrasted here. Just look at the difference between how the Pharisees respond to these people and how Jesus responds to these people. Think back to uh, Luke 18. And hopefully this won't still... Scott's going to do this parable later. Just don't tell him I said anything about it, okay? There's the Pharisee and the tax collector in the temple praying. And man, just think if you were the tax collector standing next to this guy who's praying, and he says, God, thank you that I'm not like this guy. Like, could you imagine that being you? But that was their attitude of heart, just this prideful arrogance. And so when they saw uncleanness, they moved away from it. Jesus saw that and he moved toward it. Because Jesus had the heart of God. And that's really what this parable is about. It's about God's heart for the lost. His heart for the broken and for the sinful. It's really about his heart for you and his heart for me. And I think that's important for us to remember. But look, this parable, as well as the, uh, the other two parables told in Luke 15, are told directly to the Pharisees and scribes. They're not told to the church. They're told to those, those prideful, arrogant Pharisees. So I'm just going to make that one point this morning that I mentioned earlier. right? And here it is. So if you want to fill in your blanks, get ready. A lost soul has so much value in the heart of God that he spares nothing in order to redeem him or her. A lost soul has so much value in the heart of God that he spares nothing in order to redeem him or her. Jesus is communicating this parable to these self-righteous men that those they try to distance themselves from are the very people that Jesus came to save. And we see that pretty clearly here. Like, starting in verse 3. Jesus says, here's this good shepherd. And he leaves 99 sheep in the open country, which is the most vulnerable place that sheep could be left. There's no place to hide. There's no place to run. The shepherd's gone. And yet, the shepherd leaves them to pursue the one that's lost, the one that's a mess, the one who wants to be so badly different but doesn't know how to overcome his sin, the good shepherd goes after that lost soul and grants him repentance. And there's my favorite part of the story. God loves to do that. He loves to do that. Like, I think so often we think, okay, this, this lost soul that God's really had to pursue, who's really had to, in one sense, convince to follow him, he must be up there like, I don't know what's going on with this guy. Or having his arms crossed saying, he, I mean, look at all this trouble you've caused. Look at this mess you've made. But as you read the scriptures, that, that's just something we've conjured up. It's just not there. Because this shepherd finds the sheep, puts the sheep on his shoulders. Think of the significance of that. And he rejoices, calling his friends, come over. This one lost sheep that we didn't think we were going to find is found. It's home. 
That's who God is. Every time that you repent of your sins, that's God's response. Okay, I know this is, doesn't say Baptist on the front of this church, but that, that should have been an amen, okay? Every time that you repent of your sins, God doesn't go, well, it's about time, okay? He rejoices. He rejoices. So if you're here and you're broken and you're all messed up like me, you got sins that nobody else knows about, sometimes you lay awake at night thinking, okay, this was the day, these were the sins that probably terminated my relationship with the Father. Then listen, listen to these words from Zephaniah 3.17. Now look, there is Israel and Zephaniah has sinned and sinned boldly. But now they've turned when you get to this verse. And here's what Zephaniah writes. The Lord your God is in your midst, a mighty one who will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you with his love. He will exult over you with loud singing. That is your heavenly Father. Every time you repent. If it's once a day, or if it's a thousand times a day, he rejoices in each and every one of those moments. And he spares nothing to chase us down and find us. It's what Paul writes in Romans 8. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? In other words, he's given us his son. He put his son to death for us. Why in the world, if we come to him and say, Lord, forgive me of this sin, would he withhold that forgiveness? He rejoices in sinners repenting. And he spares nothing to bring that lost sheep home. That's God's heart toward the lost. I'm thankful for that because I once was lost. But there is, are multitudes. Mark just mentioned that. The harvest is plentiful. I mean, there are lost sheep everywhere. Every neighborhood, every place you work, every place you go to school, every place you shop. Not any on social media. But everywhere else, okay, there's lost people. Why in the world would God put this parable in the Bible? Because I'm looking around with no Pharisees here. I don't, why, why are we reading this 2,000 years later? I think it's here to make us pause and examine our own hearts, our own attitude toward the lost. Because when you see the compassion and the love of the Father for the lost, it begins, at least in me, to convict me for my lack of love and compassion for the lost.
Because he's made sacrifices like giving his son. He's pursued them. I struggle with, with lost people who just kind of spew political venom that I disagree with. How do I respond to those people? Like a Pharisee or like Jesus? What about the lost people whose sexuality disgusts me? That I might disagree with. How do I respond to them? Like a Pharisee or like Jesus? And when we see how the Pharisees responded, this, they can't believe Jesus is eating with sinners and tax collectors. But when Jesus looked at those people in Matthew 9, do you remember what he said? They're like sheep without a shepherd. So often when I look out on this world and I see the, the total wreck it is right now, I almost look like that Pharisee who says, Lord, thank you that I'm not like those people. That I'm satisfied with just being separate from them, different from them. And I don't think that's what satisfies the heart of Jesus. I don't think my being separated from them is enough that I think, as Mark also mentioned, when, when he commissioned us to go and make disciples, that's exactly what he had in mind, is for us to go into that mess and love and speak and be compassionate to point those people to our Savior who loved and was compassionate and pursued us. I asked my question this, asked myself this question. Why, why do I, why is this such a struggle for me? And so, because always I'm thinking, okay, if, if I can figure out why this is such a struggle for me, I bet somebody else is having the same struggle. Or maybe I'm just that sinful. But what is it, what is it that keeps me from every time that I see brokenness in the world and lost in the world? having a response like Jesus would have. Well, I think Jesus kind of gets at that in Luke 7, which I know I've already referenced. Apparently it's a great chapter. Maybe we should read that uh, this afternoon. But he, remember, he's in there eating with the Pharisees, and the lady comes in and anoints him with oil, and she weeps on his feet and dries it with her hair. And guess how the Pharisees responded? I can't believe he's letting her that close to him. I mean, if he was a real prophet, he would have known what kind of woman she is. That's how they responded. And then this is how Jesus responded to them. Therefore I tell you, her sins which were many are forgiven, for she loved much. But he who is forgiven little, loves little. I think that last sentence is the key. That 
the more I understand, and I don't, Lord, I do not want to know all the depths of my sin. But the more I do understand the depths of my sin, the bigger the cross gets. The more I understand the depth of my sin, the more thankful I am for the forgiveness that has been given to me. And then as I think about the forgiveness that's been given to me, I begin to become more compassionate, patient, and loving toward those who are lost. Instead of just separating from them, I want to move with them, move toward them with words and deeds of healing, pointing them to Christ. See, the Pharisees didn't get that. Pharisees didn't get that. That's why Jesus is telling this parable. They're saying, you don't understand the depths of your sin. So therefore, you can't understand how big Jesus is. How big your need for Him is. They just didn't see it. And instead of emulating the heart of God, they moved away from those people who needed God most. Let me ask you a hard question. Where are you in this parable? I've had to deal with it all week. All right. Where are you in this parable? Are we like Jesus? Are we pursuing the one who is lost? Or do you feel like you find yourself often huddled up with 98 other people talking about them out there somewhere and how bad they're doing, what kind of awful sins they are committing? And look, I flip back and forth. It's a struggle, right? I'm not saying I'm, you're either all, all the first choice pursuing one who's lost, or all the second choice, you're always looking down your nose at the world. But if you find yourself as someone who's pursuing the one who is lost, here's your application. This is the only other thing that's on your uh, outline. So what do you do if, if I'm pursuing the one who is lost? Based on this parable, what do I need to do? Well, I would say these three things. Pray, love, and speak. Okay? Campus outreach, which I, I work for, talk a lot about evangelism. Okay? That's all you need to know about evangelism, those three words. Don't tell them I said that. Okay? That's it. That's all the training we need. Pray, love, and speak. It's, it's no more complicated than that. Pray for God to give you a heart for the lost. Pray for lost people by name. Ask God to begin to convict your heart, to build into your heart this kind of heart for lost people. Say, God, make my heart like your heart is toward this lost sheep in the parable. Second, love those people. Find ways to build bridges into their lives. Serve them. Encourage them. And then, when opportunities arise, speak truth. Tell them about Jesus. You don't even have to tell them about our church. 
you don't have to tell them about our denomination. Because Redeemer Church never saved anybody. The PCA has never saved anybody. Jesus Christ is the only name by which people are saved. Talk to them about Jesus. Say things that you know to be true about Jesus and your experience with Him. That's evangelism. All right, you had it. There's the training. Now go, just go do it. All right? Stumble through it like the rest of us. But maybe you're here and you feel like, man, I, I see a lot of Pharisee in me. Here, here's your application. First, repent. Second, do all those things I just said. Okay? That's the, and guess what? If you're here pursuing the one, just do the second application I talked about. Go ahead and repent for things that you don't even know you need to be repenting for, and then do all those other things I said. Okay? And remember... If you find yourself, you're saying, oh man, I struggle with being a Pharisee. I struggle with it. Repent. God loves it. He loves it. Remember the sheep on the shoulders, the party? All right. Keep reading those parables in Luke 15. Every story ends with a celebration. Because somebody repented. That will be encouraging to you. That ought to make you want to come to Jesus. See, what happens when we sin is we start being like the Pharisees and we start wanting to pull away from Jesus, right? But look at the Jesus of Scripture, not the one we've conjured up. The Jesus of Scripture says, when you come and repent, I rejoice. I sing over you. And look, it is my prayer that this church and the church, capital C, would spend time and energy in pursuing lost people like God has already pursued us. That's how the kingdom is built. That's how the name of Christ is exalted. That's what we were made to do. Let me pray for us. <clears throat> Father, I confess that I have not loved lost people well. And I suspect that there are many here who feel the same way. Times we should have served in different, times we should have spoke up and didn't. Would you change the attitude of our heart? Holy Spirit, would you root out the Pharisee in us and would you replace it with the heart of our heavenly father not so that we can pat ourselves on the back not to grow our church but to grow your kingdom to exalt the name of your son who gave everything to find lost sheep thank you Lord for that thank you for our time together and we pray this in Christ's name